right, friends, this is episode 31 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us again. I can't wait for you to get into this week's episode. It's talking about something that I think is absolutely crucial in your relationship with God and understanding God and getting to know God a lot better, and that's how to pray. At this point in Christ's sermon, the first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Christ goes into detail about what kind of prayer he doesn't want and what kind of prayer that he does want. In fact, he even calls one type of prayer hypocritical. And so today we're going to learn how do you pray without being a hypocrite. I can't wait for you to listen to it, but I just want to take a moment and remind you, definitely go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and get the study guide so you can follow along and make sure you know exactly where we are. And let me just tell you once again, I'm so thankful that you're part of this growing community, and I just pray that today God will move on your heart and help you to grow so much closer to Him and understand his character so much better today. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Here we go. Number one, everyone in this room is a hypocrite. Everyone in this room, I am seeing a predominant 90% yeses. I see a few no's and I just wanna say thank you that you don't think I'm the hypocrite. It's very kind of you, you're going to heaven. Good. Yes, not everyone. Pastor's doing okay. No, I, I, I hate to break it to you guys, but I'm not perfect. I'm just a little, little less than perfect. But you guys already knew that. All right, number two, moving on. The problem with hypocrisy in the church has diminished in recent years. The problem with hypocrisy in the church has diminished in recent years. Wow. Almost all no's, a few yeses, like I saw about four yeses out of 350 people. All right. Figure out the percentages there. Number three, it is better to be an outspoken atheist than a hypocrite, quoting George Harrison. Hmm, this one's taking you a little bit longer. In fact, not everyone's voting. You can't abstain, I'm sorry. This is an interactive community. Yeah, so it's better to be an outspoken atheist than a hypocrite. Let me see your cards. Let me see your cards. Oh, we are all over the place. I'm seeing about 50% yes, about 50% no, and about 10% maybe. Wait a minute. That doesn't add to 100%. You know, they say there are three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> Number four, moving right along. Even though God knows what I need, he requires me to ask him before he gives it. Even though God knows what I need, he requires me to ask him before I get it. Hmm. Looking like about 70% no's, about 15% yes, and the rest of you are maybes. That's a tough one, isn't it? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to get some answers to that one. And number five, last one. Some of my sins have not been forgiven because I refuse to forgive other people. Some of my sins have not been forgiven because I refuse 
to forgive other people. This is a tough one, too. All right, we have about uh, 50% no, about 30% yes, and about 20% maybes. This is a tough one, because we know. We know that Christ said, you should pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're going to talk about that in a lot of detail, and so don't worry about that one being split quite so much. Now, we're on a journey here. Those of you who have joined us today, going to catch you up. We're on a journey through Jesus's very first sermon as recorded in Matthew 5 through 7. And in this journey, uh, we've discovered that a lot of the things that we thought Jesus said in the sermon are quite different from what we grew up hearing. In fact, many of us were surprised to see how much humor Jesus used, not only in what we've boringly titled the Beatitudes, which had everyone rolling laughing, um, but also how uh, Jesus talked about your saltiness and about how that's an idiom that uh, means if, if you've lost your salt, it's a lot like saying you're two fries short of a Happy Meal. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't want spiritually ignorant people who cannot be taught to be salty. Very good. Today, we're taking the next step. He's gone through several different sections. He's going through different sections of trying to explain to the people, what does he mean when he said in Matthew 5, 20, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's got to be beyond it because the Pharisees and teachers of the law are not going to heaven. And everyone gasped because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are right there in the front row where all the smart people are. And he says, they're not going. Let me explain to you, there's a different way of living. There's a different way of doing church. And there's a different way of relating to God that surpasses what the pastors and the legalists have been doing in church. And he uses several illustrations to try to show, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by by your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. We've gone through several of those, and today we find ourselves in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And in verses 5 through 8, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Brings us to our first questions. How do hypocrites pray? And how can I avoid those kinds of prayers? We have a comment back here. Sharon. Well, what affected my answering your questions had to do with when I was answering the questions that were in the Wednesday thing you, that you put out in, uh, for yes. us to study. Uh -huh. I looked in the margin of my Bible where it had hypocrites. Yes. And its equivalent was pretenders. Oh. So if I substitute pretenders every time that we have hypocrites, mm -hmm. 
it changes what I would otherwise, uh, the way I would otherwise answer your questions. Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up because if you'll notice the next line down on your study guide, I've got the word there, in Greek even. When Jesus used the word hypocrite, the crowd heard it completely different than the way you're hearing hypocrite today. We use the term hypocrite all the time as we're talking about church. If you ask a person, why did you stop going to church? What's the number one response you guessed you would get back? It's just full of hypocrites. And you're like, absolutely. I'm a hypocrite. I don't always do everything that I'm supposed to do. I don't always turn the other cheek. I don't always, you know, think kind thoughts. I don't practice what I preach. I'm a hypocrite. You're right. The church is full of hypocrites and we need more. Can you join us? We're running low on hypocrites. In Jesus's day, they would have heard something much, much different. Because remember, the church hadn't been built up yet. The church wasn't full of nothing. Because there was no Christian church yet. Jesus was starting to build it with his first sermon. What the people heard, probably the closest equivalent that the people heard when Jesus said hypocrites, it would have been like Jesus saying, and don't pray like the stage actors. The stage actors. Because in Jesus' day, the, the, the Greek uh, culture, the Greco-Roman Empire, was deeply steeped into this Greek culture. And what the Greeks would do is when they would put on a play, most of the plays were not multi-actor plays. It was a single actor. And what the actor would do, they would keep the same robe on. They had the same robe, but they would have at the end of these poles, they would have a mask. And each mask represented a different character in the play. And so while the actor is there, they would hold up the pole and place the mask in front of their face to signify to you, so who's doing the talking? And then when they would say what they wanted, a question or a response, they would switch the mask move a little bit, and answer as if they're a different person. And on and on they'd go and picking up different masks and putting the mask over their face to help you as the audience understand who is this person. And that's how the actor would go through the play. So when the people were listening to Jesus' first sermon there on the mount, they immediately thought, not of church, when Jesus said hypocrite, they immediately thought of the theater, and Jesus terms the Pharisees as stage actors. Don't pray like the stage actors you see here because they're just putting on masks. So when you see them, you're like, oh, here's this person. Oh, here's that person. I wish I could be that person. Guess what? The person behind the mask wished they could be that person too because they're just play acting. So Jesus is saying, don't be like the stage actors or the play actors who go on to not only the streets, but into the street corners to make a show. They're on the stage. All the world's my stage. He specifically uses the word street corners because that is a uh, very consistent term that you would use if you're looking for the busiest part of town. Wherever roads or paths intersect on those corners, you're going to see more people. And so Jesus is saying, look, these play actors come onto their stage. They want the biggest crowd. And so they come onto their stage and they wait for the trumpet to blow. 
just like today, you might travel to a, a country uh, in the Middle East, and you hear the call to prayer. And at that moment, all faithful Muslims will bow right where they're at and pray. At that same type of style, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the devout Jews would make sure that they were in a public place, the most public place ever, because scripture tells us that they loved to do this. It was their passion to be seen as this highly religious person. You'll pray in public. Now, I don't know how you are. I don't know how embarrassed you are to pray at the restaurant. Let's say a quick one, okay? I don't know how loud you pray in a restaurant, how quiet you pray, whether you hold hands with the person you're with while you pray, or whether you're, we'll just have our own prayers. Is that okay? Yeah, we're just going to, let's just say our own prayers. There's problems with all of it, because I've been with people who wanted to make sure the food was blessed at every table in the restaurant (laughs) for every single person there with the prayer. And I've also been with other people that have made me open my eyes during prayer just to see, are they still praying? Are they, have they said amen yet? I'm waiting to hear the guy next to me say, amen, amen, we're done. Because I can't hear it. Jesus says the problem with the Pharisees is because they were praying to themselves. They weren't praying to God. They were praying to the one that they loved the most, themselves. That's how hypocrites pray. So the ultimate question we have to look at here is how do we avoid that? Because Jesus is saying, my disciples do something different. When you pray, you don't pray like the hypocrites. So our question remains, how can I avoid those kind of prayers? What is it you can do to pray genuinely with righteousness? What can you do? I think your statement is a very true one. Thank you. We always pray to the one we love the most. Ah. And as long as we love ourselves the most, we will pray to ourselves however we do it. And so we need to change who we love the most. Hmm. What do you think, Harvey, are the characteristics that we can determine? Like several of us are like, I hope I'm not praying to myself. Sometimes it feels like I'm praying to myself with the prayers bouncing off the ceiling. What in your mind are some of the characteristics that you would be able to tell whether someone's praying to themselves or praying to God? I can't tell whether someone else is praying to no, themselves. I'm just saying uh, internally, like, like when, when do you know whether you're praying to God or if you've gotten off track? I'm listening hmm. to hear what God is telling me hmm. and asking God to make that true in my life. Prayer is much more listening than talking. Hmm. It's a dangerous statement. <laughs> uh, seriously. Out of, I, I, I don't get much criticism, praise God, because I'm not that important. Um, but the criticism that I have received consistently is I'm teaching dangerous teaching when I tell people to listen during prayer. So many people have said, do you realize how dangerous that is? You're opening up the door for the demons, the devils to come into your life because you are opening yourself. This is Eastern mysticism. No, it's not. God has prayer requests for you too. 
The problem is while you feel, you're filling up all the time, feeling like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, God is saying, I'm so frustrated, all my prayer requests are bouncing off your roof. Because you're not listening. I love that. Um, I think that a lot of times people pray to themselves opposed to God is because they hold themselves higher just because they can see themselves in a mirror any day and they know that they're real. But it's a lot harder to pray to somebody that you've never seen. And I think it's just an accident that people pray to themselves. I think you're absolutely correct. I think you're absolutely correct. It's easy. It's easy to communicate with, to believe in the things that you know, the things that you can see. Anybody here ever have a long-distance relationship or currently in a long-distance relationship? Yeah? Yeah, you know the challenges of that, right? Because the less you see someone, the less you believe in that person, the less you trust that person, right? It's extremely difficult. So having a spiritual relationship with a long-distance relationship creates exactly the issues you were talking about. Yes, Jordan. Um, I have always had an issue um, wrapping my head around public prayer, especially like in a setting like this where you're praying for a multitude of 350 people, um, not you specifically, but uh, it's always seemed not genuine. Mm -hmm. it, it's always seemed very much like he says, like a, like a stage where you're trying to pray to the people and not to God. What do you say we do about that? See, that is what Jesus addressed next when he addresses this whole thing. And, and when you pray, he says, uh, it's right there in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, translators have a lot of challenges with verse 7. But those who are linguists who approach um, this verse 7 as a linguist, they found something that's actually pretty funny. Once again, remember, anywhere between 72 and 85% of the words of Jesus, the red letters of Christ, are humorous in some way. Joke, pun, play on words, sarcasm. And in this verse, verse 7, Jesus uses a word that's only used one other time in the New Testament, actually not even in the New Testament, one other time that we could find in Greek literature. This word babbling, which is what Jordy uh, introduced us to, this whole thing of being up front. And I, I have to tell you, um, in 25 years of pastoral ministry, one of the things I've really been concerned about is when I pray up front. Because I grew up in a different church than the church I, I now serve in, thank God. There is still progress. But I grew up with people that I'm like, how in the world am I supposed to pray that prayer? How am I supposed to emulate that? Even if I drop all the these and thous, how am I supposed to pray that flowery prayer? How am I supposed to pray for two minutes? Some of these prayers go on for five minutes. I'm like, beautiful sermon there. Amen. And so for me personally, that's been a, a, a real challenge. One of my professional challenges to say, how can I truly just have a prayer for the people? Blessed to have the opportunity to have this intercessory prayer on behalf of all God's people without it seeming like, boy, he either wrote that or, boy, he is really shooting from the hip. 
that, that fine balance in the middle to where you're truly praying for the people without it being about you, but being about God. The word that Jesus used here for babbling, you know, they not supposed to go on babbling like the pagans. The word that's used there, which is only once in New Testament, once in, in Greek literature, is actually a compound word. The stem, the root word, basically means speak. The prefix, bata, at the beginning of that word is, it's a meaningless word. It's onomatopoeia. It's one of those things where it, uh, a, a word is created like the sound that it makes, or the near sound. And uh, so one of the common slang phrases that they would say in Jesus's day, when someone's going on and on and on and on, they'd say, bada, 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 bada. It sounds very similar to what we say today, yada, 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 yada. Right? So this word, when Jesus said, don't pray like the Gentiles who just bada, 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 speak. It's just on and on and on. The translators say there's one of two things going on and possibly both. The first is that uh, those who were pagan, who would pray to their God, believed in two things. If you either repeat a mantra chant over and over again, that eventually you will wear your God out. Because remember, it's only our Yahweh God, the Judeo-Christian God, who in all of history said, can I come and can I help you? Can I be part of your life? Can I love you and you love me? The other gods in the world, uh, religions, don't do that. The other gods, you got to get their attention. You got to wear them out. You got to wear them down until they finally say, there, you can have it. And so Jesus says, look, the pagans are either saying the same thing over and over again, like a mantra, or they are trying to say every name of God. Every possible name that you could say their God is. And in doing so, you'd make sure and cover all your bases. Now, I saw that I, I, a year and a half ago almost, uh, uh, Randy Bates and I were down in, in Ghana, South America. And it was funny because every time that they would pray, and you get in the car, you're about to drive someplace, and you needed prayer because there was way too many people than should be in whatever vehicle we were in. <laughs> but do you recall what they would say in every prayer? Keep it safe and the blood of Christ or the blood of Jesus. It was all about, if you didn't say the blood of Jesus, oh my word, you didn't cover your car. It was all about the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. And I asked him, why do you keep saying blood of Jesus? Oh, well, you got to, because that's what you have to say if you want to bring power into your prayer. And so they had this ritual of having to say a specific phrase in order to basically plug a battery into your prayer and give it power. That same concept was happening in Jesus' day, even within the Jews' prayer, where they felt like if we say all the proper names of God within our prayer, and the third element that they found in this, by going on and on, and you see it in the following verse, is that they would go on and on and on and on, thinking that the longer their prayer is, finally God would pay attention to them. If it was long enough, you say, you say a short little, little prayer like, Lord, help me or help me find a parking place. It's not going to work. <laughs> Too short. By the time you stop, he hasn't even started listening. And that was their mindset. Yes, I'd like to give a brief comment on saying grace for food. Yes. And about, about 30 years ago, I was reading a, a book of prayer, a, a, 
a book by Martin Luther on prayer. Mm -hmm. And it had listed the prayers he said before eating. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting and unusual, for me anyway, was that he had after-meal prayers. After he ate the meal, he had really thanking God again after he finished eating. Wow. And I thought that was fascinating. And I had an experience that I was eating a persimmon, ripe and delicious, and I was amazed how delicious it was. And I stopped and I said to God, wow, this is great. Thank you for thinking of me mm. in making this. And I took yeah. it personal yeah. that he created all these flavors, mm. a tongue that could even taste them. Yeah. And that, I was so grateful for that. Yeah. So many times I say prayers of, of great gratitude mm -hmm. in my, for the meal as well. That's awesome. Now, I'm, I'm going to continue this. Hang on to the mic. When, when you go throughout your day, do you believe that God is in you? God lives in you? Yes. Okay. In the same way that when you, let's say, go to a restaurant, you sit down in your home, your, your dining table, or wherever you eat, and you sit down, and you've initially said to maybe your spouse or the cook or the waiter, hey, thank you so much. From that moment on during the meal, do you think it's inappropriate to talk to the person who either made the food or the one who's sitting right across the table from you? Is it inappropriate to talk to them during the meal? Because I've wondered that. We've been to restaurants, my wife and I, many times, and we can look over and we can always tell who's dating and who's been married too long. Because the people who are dating or the people who are totally in love, they're just, they're looking, they're talking, they're, they're just enraptured with the moment. And food is this extra element of joy within this moment in time. And they are talking, and it's okay. Their mouth is full. They're, they're just talking. My wife and I, uh, it's a couple of years ago. I'll never forget. We're, we're eating. We're enjoying. We're, we're having a good time. And we look over, and there's this table with these two people. And they didn't say two words to each other for more than an hour. They barely look at each other. Food wasn't that good. <laughs> they were too old to be texting, but that was a good idea. <laughs> it would have taken them an hour just to reply with one text. Someone back here. Okay, over here. Um, I just wanted to comment on a way to avoid the pagan prayers and the repetition is when you pray from the heart and God starts giving you answers, mm. it encourages you to want to pray more. Mm -hmm. And many times, like we, one of the questions, he answers before you ask. And if you are tuned in and recognize and say, oh, thank you, God, I, that's what I needed. Then he will give you more answers to prayer, and then you're just eager to pray and talk. And prayer should be a conversation, a talk with the Lord from your heart. And that's how I keep it going. I love it. I love it. What you said is so rich in so many elements of the dynamics of prayer. Now, mind you, we're going to do a whole series on exploring God's character and how he wants to have conversations with you. 
what is prayer? We've got to spend several weeks on that. As I was going through uh, to this week's preparation, I was very bummed out that some of the greatest things, some of the most awesome keys in Scripture about how to have this incredible conversation with God, we don't have time for today. And I committed this week, we're going to spend a whole series on it because it will revolutionize your, your conversational life and your relational life with God. And so we're going to spend several weeks on that, but I just want to touch on something um, our dear sister just said. Um, you are absolutely correct in the fact that God wants to answer your prayers. Our challenge is, and we're going to dig into this later, James 4 verse 2 says, you receive not because you ask not or you ask with the wrong motives. So the question is, well, what's the proper motive? Because I'd love to have answers to prayer. I am going to tell you today the greatest challenge that all of us struggle with, myself included, is our inability to realize the power that is available to our lives today. The power that can not only change your emotions, but can change your reality and can step you step by step into the purpose that God planted into your life. No matter what stage of life you find yourself in, God has a specific calling that he needs you to accomplish. In your sphere of influence, something that is so great, whenever you try to explain it to people, two things happen. Either they don't believe what you just said because it's impossible of what just happened, or number two, you get so fired up in seeing what only God can do in your sphere of influence. We receive not because we ask not. Why, why do we not ask? Because many of us are still trying to get over our spiritual self-esteem issues to believe exactly how important we are to God's kingdom individually. Every single one of you are absolutely revolutionary in the sphere of influence that God put you in. Our challenge is we believe not. We don't believe it. We don't believe that we're supposed to do some ground-shaking work in the place that God planted us. And so we don't pray for it. We don't ask God to absolutely do his work in our sphere of influence, and that's why it doesn't happen. If you ask for it, it'll happen. So we're going to take a look at that more and more, but I absolutely agree that what he doesn't want us to do is keep babbling on and on and on about your needs. Because the scripture says he knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need even before you ask. And here's the cool thing. Many of us are stuck in this Newtonian theory of a single timeline, beginning, middle, end. There's one timeline, and whatever happens, well, it's already happened. It's in the past. God can't change the past, so I guess he'll work on the future. That's not true. The more we understand how time works in quantum physics, just what you said, ma'am. When you pray for something, God can actually enact something in the past and change some things, get some stuff, some groundwork going, so that by it comes time for your present to enact God's will, it's ready for you. God is not bothered by time. He needs you in the present to stop babbling about what you need and start talking about what he needs. Because once you start talking about what God needs, you, you get your prayers answered. The moment you start praying about, God, what do you need? I'm really struggling with my confidence in this area. I'm really struggling to understand you in this area. Can you help me out, God? 
I need you to help me understand this so I can fulfill your prayer request, God. You have almost talked me out of this. Um, Back up from the ledge, Pastor Dan. But uh, I have to speak up for seniors. Yes. We, we love you, Roy. But judge not, lest ye be judged. <laughs> if you've been there, you know it doesn't take a lot of talk. Been, been where? A senior. Okay. And you haven't been there. I'm working on it. <laughs> a little S bit every day. Slowly. <laughs> anyway, prayer is the opening of the heart to God to a friend. Yes. That you'll get to, I know, in yes. future weeks. And I, I, I hear everything you're saying here, but God wants us to come to him always. Yes. Pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. It's an attitude. It's a relationship. Yeah. And uh, public prayers need to be not talking about needs because he knows those already. Yes. Public prayer is on behalf of the community yes. trying to express how grateful we are mm -hmm. for who he is yeah. and all he is doing and has already done. Absolutely. And I, I think uh, uh, it's good to be reminded of this, but I'm not, I'm not as concerned about babbling as I am about praying. And, and by that, you mean being silent? Um, I don't believe there's enough prayer. I agree. And that's why, thank you for bringing it back, because I obviously didn't make it clear enough when we were talking about the restaurant. Because when I was talking about the restaurant, and I asked you the specific question, is, does the Spirit of God live in you? And you said yes. As long as you are continuing an open dialogue, a sense in your mind that I don't connect with God just during times that we're talking, during prayer. I'm connected to God 24-7. He lives in me and works through me. And so my conversation is continual. I don't sit in it throughout my day, even when I look physically alone, I am never alone because I am continually filled with the presence of God. I am always a duo. And as I go throughout my day, and I'm glad you said that, Dan, because the point I was trying to make with the restaurant is as you go throughout your day, why, why do we act as if prayer is something you have to stop doing everything else to start doing? Paul said it this way, I pray constantly, constantly. He's always talking, and he's not talking to himself. I see some of you, you look kind of crazy when you're talking to yourself. You're trying to get your stuff done. You're trying to get everything. You're talking, okay, I got to get the, where's the creamer? Okay. <laughs> but when you're going throughout your life, it is not talking to yourself. You have a connection to the greatest source of the universe, the creator God, who for some reason says, I love you so much, I want to give you my undivided attention. And someday when we go into this, what does quantum science show us about God? You're going to see how God truly can give you undivided attention for your entire life. 
And in that sense, Pastor Dan, thank you for reminding us that prayer is not something that is a piece of the pie of your life. Am I spending enough time in prayer? Paul never talked about spending enough time in prayer. He talked about praying continually. And the, the way that you get over that is to stop seeing prayer as some specific type of language, specific type of conversation, and look at God as your partner, your life partner, helping you fulfill your life calling, and he's in you and working through you continually. And in that case, you're talking to him all throughout your day, not just when you need something, because those friends are annoying. You're talking to him about when you're excited about things, like when you eat a peach, and you're like, yes, it's so amazing. Thank you so much for making this. How'd you come up with this flavor? This is such an awesome flavor. That's continual prayer with God. Ed. I want to follow up on the comment gentleman made over here. When I was having worship this morning, I thought, Lord, I've had a lot of issues, and I've been asking you for a lot of things. I'm not going to ask you for anything this morning. I'm going to go through and I'm going to make a list and I'm going to see how many things I can find for saying thank you. Wow. And it was an entirely different kind of conversation. Mm. And what is the meaning of, and give him no rest till he makes Jerusalem a praise? Absolutely. I love it. Back here. I'm confused by when you were talking about God changing the past for the present. And I wish you could expound on that because you lost me. Okay. Uh, in, in, I'm just going to say it really brief because uh, we touched on it a couple of times. Uh, we've proven in quantum physics that time is actually something that's malleable and you can, you can actually escape time. It explains a lot about how God can be eternal outside of time and we experience time in this universe that he created. If you imagine it like this, God being outside of a bubble, I'm oversimplifying it, but God outside of a bubble, that he looks at the universe. Science shows us that God, how he created the universe, can decide any point in time to insert himself. And it's not a single timeline. It's more like a tree or foamy bubbles, like when you're doing bubble bath in your, in your bathtub, just continually growing. God, in his infinite wisdom, looks at that and says, look, you've prayed for this, but I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to do some prep work for you here. And he can himself insert himself into any point in time, in any of the possible decision timelines that you can make, and he can set things in place, start communicating in people's minds, get them thinking about certain things. That's why we pray for the Holy Spirit to work on the hearts of man before we go and talk with him about scriptural things. God says, okay, let me work on that. And he goes and... In fact, some of the people I've prayed for, I'm meeting them in two days, and they say, you know, three months ago, I started thinking about this. It's God going back far enough in time so people have enough preparation in their hearts and their minds to be prepared for what the Holy Spirit needs to do at that moment of time when he's got you ready to do what he needs you to do. From that standpoint, if you're really curious about quantum physics and stuff, there's a, probably some of the easier places to start looking at it. There's a bunch of YouTube videos that show things like the double slit experiment and shows how we uh, have been created by God to live a much, uh, a much greater experience with him as far as changing the hearts and minds of people to understand who God is. So 
I, I, it's, trust me, I've studied since 1997. I've done diligent study, all my hands on the stuff that I can read about quantum physics. And ultimately, I've come to the fact that not even the experts who are writing the books fully understand it. But one thing that we do know is that God has created the universe so that he can play with time a lot, a lot more than what we originally thought with this Newtonian timeline, which has been disproved um, fairly easily with quantum physics. So... Sorry, I, we can't spend the whole time on it, but incredible question. Who has the mic next? In relation to repetitious prayer motivated by trying to wear out the deity, yeah. how do we uh, look at Christ's parable of the importunate widow? I was waiting for this question. Because Christ then tells a story later on, maybe a year, year and a half later, where he's like, oh, uh, here's some ways that you can pray. And he talks about this woman that will not give up. Boom, boom, boom. Open the door. It's midnight. Go away. Boom, boom, boom. Open the door. And continues knocking on the door until it opens. So what in the world is Jesus saying? Don't worry. We're going to get to that during our section on prayer. If you want to know the answer... Come to the Bible app. <laughs> but I'll answer it quickly. When you see what Christ is talking about, and when we start to, to study prayer, you're going to see one very consistent principle. Our prayer life has become so self-focused, that's why we receive not. You can pound on the door all you want of God's kingdom if it's just something you want for yourself. Lord, I want to win the lottery. I want the $400 million, and I'm going to keep pounding until I win that lottery. First, yeah, you, you do have to buy a ticket first, yeah. <laughs> when you look at how God wants us to pray, our prayers consistently need to be, Lord, how do I fulfill what you made me to be? And Lord, I'm going to keep pounding that door to find out what my life purpose and my life mission is until we have a breakthrough. Because Lord, I need to find out why you made me. One of the greatest questions of life is why am I here? I need to know that, Lord. Because I know you're real, and I know I'm here in this space and time. Lord, I've got to have a breakthrough. And so when we get to that section, you're going to see how God is trying to help you understand what he wants you to be persistent about. And what he does not want you persistent about is getting everything you need here on earth. He already has prepared everything you need and then some in the kingdom come. He's already answered that prayer where moth and rust cannot destroy so the prayers of building a heaven on earth will go unanswered because that's not his greatest concern. His greatest concern is that you live out your life calling and that you have a relationship with him that's strong, healthy, and growing. Back here. Sharon. Well, I would like to go back a few sentences from to where we were before talking about little prayers to Jesus during the day. Mm -hmm. I have a little different concept. Cool, sure. I like the idea of being mentally in touch with God all day, mm -hmm. and I can just say little sentences yeah. to God because I know that we're together. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. 
I had misplaced my keys. And I had no idea where they were. And I said, okay, God, I know in your good time you'll show me where the keys are. And I left it. Mm -hmm. And I waited maybe about three weeks. And all of a sudden, my keys were where the dog leash and the doggy bag were. <laughs> now, I used those multiple times every day, but the mm. keys weren't there. Mm. The keys were there. I said, well, thank you, God, for giving my keys back. I knew you'd do it in your own time. Hmm. That's the way I am with God, yeah. that I have the frame of mind that God is right with me all day long, yeah. and I can just say little things like that. It doesn't have to be a stop in my day, yeah. and oh, here's a little cutout that I've got for God, mm -hmm. that I'll stop and, and have a prayer of several sentences. Yeah. It's more, I have a prayer when I get out of bed, and I know that God's going to be right there with me yeah. and that God's my partner. Mm -hmm. And so I can just say, oh, hey, God, thank you for that. Or God, you know, right now I don't know exactly what you want me to do. So you're just going to have to let me know. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it, Sharon. Makes me think of two things. Number one, did you have a sit down talk with your dog to find out what he was doing with your keys for three weeks? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The second thing it makes me think of is you're, you're absolutely correct. This, this constant prayer where you're going through. You know the interaction card packet that we have? I, I didn't come up with it. Um, I had just come back from the very first core meeting. We had 18, some of you are here, uh, uh, core members talking about uh, what if we started this community called the Bible Lab? And it was in November, and uh, we were starting to vision cast, what would you like? And everyone went around the room. We were talking about interactivity and how it would be great to have an interactive group. And... Uh, Upon the closing of that meeting, we're leaving two, two of the men stopped and said, you know what? Hey, this sounds great. It's just not for me. I'm not really comfortable talking in public and especially if it's a large group. I, I'll, never, I'll never interact. I said, no, the, verbal communication is really just a small fraction of interac interaction and communication. Let's pray about this and, and I'm sure God will show us something. I was driving. Uh, Anderson just got onto the on-ramp to get onto the 10 and felt incredibly impressed by God that, hey, you know what? You had already thought about having some comment and question cards, but a couple of people said, no, that's a bad idea. So you kind of pushed it aside. And what if you had a whole nother section of yes and no questions and, and you just had a whole pack of cards where we would use to interact and then people who don't want to talk don't have to talk. It was while I was driving and no, I did not have my eyes closed. It's just this continual, God, you know, what, what, what do we do about this? What's, what's an answer to that? How do we resolve this? How do we become more effective? And it's while we're going throughout our day. It might be while you're driving, walking, working, looking at your computer, whatever it is, God can communicate with you continually as you continue to stay mentally in his presence. Nancy. I heard the most refreshing prayer this week. And I wanted to share the idea. Yeah. Um, three of us were together at noon praying. And at the end of this one lady's prayer, I, I thanked her. I said, that was lovely. I've mm. never heard anybody pray like that. Mm. And she apologized. Because she had grown up in a church where you didn't talk to God, but you had prayers. Yeah. She said, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> and, and I said, well, it's like talking to a friend. And what she had said was, 
you know, God, this is not paraphrased exactly, but I want you to have a good day today. Hmm. And she said something else that I thought, why don't we ever talk to him yeah. like she did? Yeah, have care and concern for his needs. Yeah. yeah. I love that, Nancy. Jordy. Well, after that comment, I have a hard time. Um, <laughs> prayer for me is something that I, I really have a hard time with because I, I feel like, like the Bible is full of examples of this just awesome, incredible, amazing God that, that, I don't know, that acts with very specific people and does very specific things. And yet now in like the 21st century, we're talking about how we're all supposed to be communicating and, and at one with God. And it's, I just have a hard time like... Like I hear lots of people like Pastor Matthews talking about how we're supposed to be praising God and and saying all these things, and yet, I mean, I'm a pretty negative person just all around. I have a hard time always talking. I mean, Pastor Matthews must be an awesome husband because I'm going to have a hard time saying all the great things all the time. And like, how do you have this internal dialogue where it's not, hey, I lost my keys, yeah, help me find them, or hey, I'm hungry, you know, just yeah. I feel like I have a very need-based conscious. Yeah. And I think you speak for a large percentage here. You're not alone. We struggle with the fact, because many of us were brought up being taught a form of prayer, which is typically, thank you, thank you, thank you, now gimme, gimme, gimme. It's just the formula for our prayer that we're brought up. And it creates a very self-centered, focused so that even our praise is to butter God up so he'll give us what we want. And that's, that is actually the environment in which Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's saying they're not only pretending, but they're just praying to get what they want with their long prayers. Jesus then continues on in the next section, which we call the Lord's Prayer, which many commentators say it should be entitled the model prayer. Because unfortunately, what we've done is we've taken what Jesus said, I don't want you to do, and we take his following words and say, well, let's do that to that. Let's memorize it and let's say it word for word. And I don't like this version because it leaves this out. And we repeat it over and over again. It's our Protestant rosary that we pray over and over and over till it becomes babbling, yada, yada, yada. What does it mean? In fact, we could spend a whole series just walking through the stages of the Lord's Prayer. What does he mean by this phrase? When you look at it in context, what Jesus is saying here is, look, there's a lot of people who are praying on and on and on and on. Let me show you a model prayer. You can pray for all the things in heaven and earth, show your concern for God's kingdom, and show that God has a concern for you. Show your need for forgiveness from God and your desperate need for forgiveness between mankind and yourself. And say all of that in less than 30 seconds. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, use this as a memory verse. He's saying, use this as an example to show you can pray for all things heaven and earth, not become so self-centered, self-motivated, that you forget about God's kingdom and God's will be done here and there. You can 
remind yourself that you're not only asking God for forgiveness, but you're reminding yourself that you need to be more Christ-like. You need to be like God who has forgiven you. You need to echo that into the world by being forgiving to others. And it's so serious. I'm going to say, God, be as merciful to me as I am to mankind. It's a model prayer of showing you you can say it in a short amount of words without wearing God out. That's why Jesus said it in context. And that's why Jesus also said, I'm going to give you a couple more verses here at the end, just so you understand. You are in desperate need of forgiveness. And instead of asking, asking, asking God for what you want, can you spend the time looking at your own personal spiritual need and saying, God, I'm so grateful for your mercy. And instead of spending my time here trying to show people how good I am in public, I'm going to go. And I'm going to go to the people that have either wronged me or I've wronged them, or it's, it's, it's been so long and we've gotten our stories so built up that I don't even, even know whose fault it is, but I'm going to make it right. Because I don't even know where things began with me and between me and God, the things that I got myself involved in. I need God's grace so much. And that's why Christ says, look, your prayer life is revolutionary to you in this way. Instead of trying to be flowery, poetic, instead of trying to be showy. He said, go into, and some of your translations say a closet. Some of your translations, like the NIV, say a room. Um, The actual word that's used there is, it's typically used for storeroom or basically a room with a door. Most of the houses did not, there there was no distinction of rooms in a house other than your closet or your storeroom. And so basically it's saying, And by the way, it's bigger than our typical closets. It would be like a walk-in closet. Um, uh, It's basically saying, go to a place where you can close a door. And the interesting thing about the words here is it says that what you do in secret or in private, God will, and many of the translations say, see you in private or see what you're doing in private and reward you. Um, The word there actually can mean that when you go get yourself into a private space, the word actually means that God himself will join you in that private space. His actual presence will step into that room, into that private place to where you can be honest and real. Instead of out on the street trying to prove how you got it all together, and look at me, I'm wearing a tie, I'm okay. You're in a closet, a room, the door is closed, you can say, God, it's just me. It's just you and me, you know me. And I'm trying to get to know you. And in this space, I'm praying for you and your presence to come because only your presence can change me. Only your presence can make me what you made me to be. Only your presence will give me the power to have victory. That's totally my prayer for you this week. I sure hope you find that power and that victory in your prayer walk with God. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt and from my own personal experience, and you probably know too, that exactly what God wants to have is just that close, personal, real, raw relationship with you. He doesn't want you to have all the right words. He just wants you to have that right relationship with him. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I have a special guest for you this next week, Pastor Dan. You heard him earlier in this podcast, but he's going to help us lead out the discussion to talk about what did Jesus say in 
his first sermon about generosity and how we should be taking care of other people's needs. And it's a lot different than what you might imagine. And it was just a powerful discussion. So I invite you to come back for our next episode to continue growing and to get to know God's character more and more every week. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.